Wake up. It's time to die. That's right. We're talking about Blade Runner. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Breakcast, the official podcast of thepopbreak.com. My name is Bill Bodkin. I will be your co-host for this episode. And as always, when talking about movies, I am joined by uh, the Blade Runner himself, our own Rick Duckard, cold heart with a warm inside. His name is Dan Cohen. How you doing, Dan, on this lovely early October weekend night? I'm doing great, Bill. Thank you for that lovely introduction. And look, uh, we are going to talk about Blade Runner 2049 tonight. Um, of course, one of the discussions we'll be having is on the kind of underwhelming box office. But I do have a silver lining on that box office. It could be worse. You could be the New York Giants. And Dan Cohen only brings that up because I often joke about my Giants defeating his New England Patriots in two successive Super Bowls. Um, yeah, but I'm living in the now, Bill, and so not in the past. So there you go. But speaking of days of future past, we're not talking X-Men. Ooh. We are talking about Blade Runner 2049. Of course, this is the sequel to the um, very much discussed classic Blade Runner, the very much edited classic uh blade runner um dan this is a movie that we have spoken about i believe at our year-end podcast last year and our fall movie podcast this year just about a month ago we were talking about this was one of our most anticipated movies of 2017 barring star wars obviously um Mm -hmm. now for me going into it i think i think we have a little bit of a different um background with this film i'm actually going to be publishing a column on this and probably by the time this is up it'll already be out about how i am not the biggest blade runner fan in the world i do love sci-fi i do love ridley scott i do love harrison ford so you would think hey that's three things in one you should love it but i you know i've watched it three separate times and my third time watching it i could say i i could see where the love is i could see the appreciation for it uh but just don't love it, don't put it on that pedestal, but going into this film with those trailers, given the director, given the cast, I was like, I am super hyped going into this film. Uh, Dan, can you just give a, like, a just, I know the uh, excitement is killing you, can you give us a little taste on how you were going into this film? Oh, absolutely, and by the way, I guess we should just say, first and foremost, right now, spoilers with a capital S. Oh, okay. two, two capital S's, actually. Yeah, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers for Blade Runner 2049. Um, well, okay, yeah, I'll just talk about going into the film is, yeah, like I, I've, I've mentioned it many times that I love the first Blade Runner, like many do. Um, I'm a huge fan of that movie. And, but I also, like, I, I do understand from your perspective and the perspective of many others that it's not for everybody. You know, it it is a slow film, and I said this, Bill, in our pregame column that we did, that I think for a lot of people, they saw the first Blade Runner when it was not during its theatrical run, much like this one, but I think that it's one of those, it's one of those movies that you are told about and you are told to love, and so a lot of people saw it kind of late, years later after its initial release in 1982, And it's just one of those cases of, look, we're only human, that the hype got to you way too much. And, of course, it didn't live up to it. It's happened to me many times. And I've mentioned this before. It happened to me when I watched The Wire. So, look, it is what it is. I I I know, know. but I know. It's it's, it's the same thing. Discussion for another day. 
But it's the same thing, right? But it's the exact same thing. It's like you have people telling you for years and years, Blade Runner, Blade Runner, Blade Runner, Blade Runner. It's it's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. And then you go and finally see it, and it just doesn't live up to it. And it is one of those movies. It's definitely a little slow. But, I mean, for me, that first movie speaks to all my sensibilities. And, I mean, I can tell you going into this movie, obviously we talked about this a lot when it was first announced, totally against it. Why play with fire? Not I don't like it. But, you know, then the cast, Dennis Villain, a wave. These are things we've talked about a million times. Trailers, all those things hyped me up. And, I mean, my reviews on the site, I gave the movie a 9 out of 10. I love the film. So it lived up to my expectations. So going into it, hyped as hell. Coming out of it, loved it. Um, a funny story. Um, there is a wire connection to Blade Runner 2049. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. Uh, okay. Remember in the very beginning of, of when he brings the box back to um, the precinct and he has uh, he's in he's there with uh, Brian Kay is with uh, madam I guess we'll call her uh, the technician and there's the other cop who just said oh yeah I dug the, I scanned the whole area and everything that right. was actually the main villain from season one two and three of the wire okay I what Harris like I... he played he played Avon Barksdale you would also know him he was in um, oh, Ant-Man okay. Uh, he was one of uh, Paul Rudd's crew. Um, so yeah, a little wire connection there. But Dan, um, we're actually going to talk. We're going to actually. I'm going to. We're going to reference the original film throughout. Um, oh, of course. And uh, you know what it was for me is like, and this is where I think we should just. I don't know if you want to jump into the plot itself, or you want to jump into what I think what was always my favorite part of Blade Runner. Um, where do you want to start? Because my well, favorite part well, is I the visuals. But well, I think let's we should go, hold let, off on that. Now, when you say your favorite part of Blade Runner, well, I guess we should just answer My this first, question. But the first part of Blade, oh, the first Blade Runner, I should say. Hold on, let, let's just hold the phone for a minute here because I think it's because you and I have not discussed Blade Runner twenty forty nine at all. We are coming into this cold, um, and so look, my review is on the site. I love this film. It lived up to my expectations. Now, Bill, I do want to hear from you because oh, that's right. I, you, I totally because forgot you were, because you you were hyped about this film as well. However, as you mentioned, you weren't the biggest fan of the original film. So I'm curious your overall thoughts on this one, just kind of as like a general sweeping overview. So one of the reasons, and I'll start with my the reasons I wasn't a huge fan of the original film, uh, spoiling my column a little bit. Um, now I first watched it. Uh, when I was a kid, Channel 11, Northeast, edited, um, non-HD, you know, it was like the original film, you know, not the any of the edited stuff. Um, second time I watched it, I watched it on an old boxy TV, still just the original version. Um, and then recently, two weeks ago, I, I watched Ridley Scott's director's cut on a, on a Blu-ray uh, disc, on a big HD TV. I got it for free. I can't afford these things in real life. Um... And I have to say, I thought the film is, is beautifully done. The soundtrack, the setting, uh, Rick Deckard's great. I just felt like the rest of the characters were... And the plot was kind of underdeveloped. It was like, I'm, I know film noir well. <sighs> and I was just like, ah, okay, there's these replicants. But they're all these little caricatures. Oh, I'm supposed to fear this guy. But, oh, he's in it for like five seconds and he gets killed. Oh, she's a, she's a killing machine. Oh, but she's running away and she got shot in the back. Oh, uh, you know, Roy, oh, there's some wonkiness with his motivations there. Like, I, I just said, like, oh, Harrison Ford's a jerk to her, and now they're in love. Oh, that was really quick and convenient. 
Um, so that was always my problem. I felt like there was like all this great world building. There's this great central character, but everything else is just kind of like, okay, you need to accept this and let's move along. I felt the opposite here when it came to storytelling. For me, I thought the film was fantastic. Now, Dan, you said in your review that it was your favorite film of 2017. Well, I, maybe. I I'll get still to that in a I still can't put the title belt around the Blade Runner's waist. Um, to me, on an emotional level, it still goes to Logan for me. But this is definitely up in my top three for, 20, for 2017. I thought this film, from start to finish, was a fantastic film. Um, I know it will be blasphemy that I say it. I enjoyed it way more than the original. But, you know, we come at it from different angles, Dan. Um, it was a terrific film that you have to have some patience with. And if you watch the movie Arrival, I feel like, you know that coming in. Because Arrival is not a quick, snappy sci-fi movie. It's a sci-fi movie, but it's very cerebral. It takes its time. And then it just basically takes a baseball bat to your gut, and you're like, oh my god. And I felt that was a very similar approach to what they did here. Whereas you have this really big build, it takes a while to get there, and then there's like gut punch after gut punch after gut punch, great performance after great performance. It was just, it's a fantastic movie. And I'm so glad that, you know, I, like, I, I saw this in theaters. Because it, it's a movie you should experience in a theater, I think. Okay, the reason why I love Blade Runner 2049 so much is very similar to why I actually do love the original as well. And part of, okay, and people can, you got to keep in mind, you know, Bill, you've only seen this movie once. I've only seen this movie once. So, you know, we're going to do our best with this insightful analysis because part of the reason why I love this movie is there is so much to dig through and I'm going to be able to dig through this stuff for years to come. And that's how I feel about the original as well. I know you don't feel that way. You know, all right, you make some fair points in your analysis of the first one. I, I feel like the story in the first Blade Runner and the characters are airtight as well. Um, but that's why right off the bat, I like Blade Runner 2049 is because it shares those similarities with the first film. And it's just, this is just one of those movies where every aspect, and you talked a lot about it already, where every aspect of filmmaking is working at the highest level here. Screenplay, story, acting. Oh my God, the performances. We will get into it. The technical aspects, it goes oh. without saying. Look, we're, we'll do some Oscar talk later on, but I'm telling you right now, I don't think you have to worry about this movie missing out on any technical awards. It is going to is going to clean up Mad Max style, I think. Um, and look, the guy you have to credit, we've talked about it, Dennis Villanueva. I mean, he's really the architect here, and he's I think capable right now. You know, I've called this guy Christopher Nolan Jr. for a reason, and it's because he's able to take these big ambitious ideas and just hit them out of the park. Um, you know, I can think I, that's can something. Can I speak on the, the ambitious ideas for one second? Sure. And see if you agree with me on this. He, no. he, he is very ambitious, but it doesn't feel ambitious. You know what I mean? It feels. Yeah, he it makes feels it look easy. Nappy. He makes it look easy. It's very natural. Like all these big cityscapes, all these concepts. It, like, even with uh, go back to Arrival too. It's just like there's people who try really hard to be smart or really hard to be like, oh, look, I can do cool stuff. To him, to every movie, those two movies, to me, just like, it's just such an, there's an ease to it. It's like, this is, you're watching a documentary more than a film in some respects. 
Well, I, I, that's a great point. And, you know, to actually just make the comparison I did with Christopher Nolan, and obviously you know me, I'm the biggest Christopher Nolan fan in the entire world. And if anyone have, doesn't know, Dan has two shrines in his yep. uh, his apartment. One is to Tom Brady and one is to Christopher Nolan. True story. Yep. I light a candle for each every night before I go to bed, um, do a little seance. But, but, but having said that, and this is obviously a criticism I don't agree with. But a lot of what people criticize about Nolan is that it does make it does seem like he's trying too hard at times. I don't think I don't agree with that criticism, but I know that some people do have that critique of some of Nolan's films, most notably Interstellar. But you were right about this one. Villanueva makes it look easy. And part of what we've talked about the story a little bit, we're going to get into it in, a, in just a minute here. But part of why I love this story and why you're so invested in it is because of the characters. It not mm. only do you, this is what I said in my review. Not only do you want to know the answers that they present here, but you desperately want the characters to get the answers, especially with the main guy, officer K. And there, to me, there are two standout perform. All the performances were great. Even yeah. the little bit parts by, you know, like Dave Batista. I know he's only in one scene, but All it's very big Dave. Yeah, but it's very impactful. Uh, but really, the two standouts for me, one is, of course, Ryan Gosling. And I cannot say enough good things about this actor. I mean, the resume that he's building right now is insane. And I always say this with great performances. It's a truly great performance when I see the, when I see the guy act and I, there's nobody else that could have done what he did in that role. Nope. And to me, I think that's Ryan Gosling in this film movie. I'm going to talk about specific moments when we get into some of the more specific sequences and scenes later on. But it's part of the reason why when guys like Eddie Redmayne win Oscars for the theory of everything is because I feel like 20 actors could have done what he did. Um, I know, obviously, Ryan Gosling isn't going to get a sniff of an Oscar nomination for this type of performance, but he was outstanding. And what's good about the performance, too, is it's not him trying to be Harrison Ford. Uh, right. Which we've seen before in sequels. It's just like, oh, he's trying to... F this uh, this actor or actress is trying to fulfill the role of the person. They're basically succeeding. Um, but it, when it, in regards to characters, like I again, this is why I think I liked it better. I felt like I knew had more emotional investment in these characters than a lot of the side characters in... In the first Blade Runner, like I think that's uh, totally fair. I, I think that's very fair because I think they're given more to work with. Because like, um, who, I, and I always forget the name of the. I know his name is Brian James. The Wake Up, It's Time to Die. Uh, I always forget his character name. Uh, but you know, you're supposed to like. He, there's not much to him. Or Joanna Cassidy's character, who's like the killing machine. Like you don't get a lot of them. Like you're given very little things here. There's kind of like Mackenzie Davis in this film, who's people will remember her from Halt and Catch Fire on AMC, which. Believe it or not, it's still on. Uh, she played the um, Becker Warner. She was a prostitute. And um, that was basically, like, you don't know a lot about her, but she's in a couple scenes. That's basically how I thought right. everyone in the first Blade Runner was. Whereas, uh, to me, it's just like, I, I got a lot from everybody. And it just, like, it made the, it, it, it filled, it's like, you know, it's a very, um, it takes, its, this film takes its time, and at times can be very quiet, but the, the characters and the performances spoke volumes at all times. Um, I, I, I agree, and I, the other standout performance was, for me, was Harrison Ford. I want to put a bookmark in him for a minute. Uh, um, I, I want to stay, I, I, I want to stay on Officer K here, Ryan Gosling, and this is to me where the story and character is just firing in all cylinders. You know, first of all, and again, it's just one of the reasons 
you know, I st- Bill, I stay away from rumors and stories about movies now. I try and know as little as possible. I had no idea. I had no clue. I, not even an inkling. But the first whammy that they hit you with is that he's a replicant. And yeah, I see, had, I originally I, thought that my original take on the story was that it was being revealed that he was a replicant. Like, he didn't know. Like, that's what I originally thought the plot of the movie was going to be. Sort, sort of like how they maybe, maybe don't do that with the first Blade Runner. Like, yeah, I like, of, how they, I like how they played with that a lot, but a lot especially in the scene with Jared Leto and, and Harrison We Ford. We will get to that later, because I want to talk about wow. the lingering questions later. But, um, yeah, no, I think that's... Uh, so, like, you're saying, you know, kind of going into the movie... Or even while you were watching the movie, you felt like it was going to be Officer K learning that he is a replicant? Yeah. And, and like he had like a mother and all this other stuff that he was going to go into. Fun fact I just found out from IMDb. If you ever read any of the uh, trivia about the first Blade Runner, Harrison Ford was one of many considered for the Rick Deckard role. Including like names like Sean Connery and Dustin Hoffman. Uh, Rob, uh, Paul Newman even. Um this, I, I could see Paul Newman. I don't know about the other guys, though. I, gotta, I, 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 could, I, could, not, I could not see Dustin Hoffman in that role. But this, according to, uh, this is not on IMDb trivia, so let's see how, you know, take this for what it's worth, but supposedly this role for Officer K was written specifically for Ryan Gosling. Uh, I mean, that, oh my God, it warms my heart when I hear stuff like that. Yes, 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 and yes. You can see it in the performance. Officer K, so you get the hit you get the hit early on that he's a replicant, you know, they've created this whole society now where, you know, replicants can now obey, you know, and they basically kind of save the world in 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 a, in a, in a sorts because, you know, it's going through this blackout, there's been all this hell, but now replicants have come along and they've been able to create um ways for people to live off world and, you know, farming and all that stuff that you get in the prologue. But where and this is where just, you know, this is what separates, you know, OK, good movies from the great ones is it's not just like, yep, he's a replicant. You know, you you really learn about this guy early on. It's kind of the sad sack of a guy. He goes into his apartment and it's basically like her almost. This is like her. I don't know if you've ever seen her. I've seen bits and pieces. People listening to this podcast who have seen her know, know, know what I'm talking about is that a lot of this movie is like her on steroids. Um, especially with a couple sequences, but he's going into this, he's going into his apartment and all he has in his life is his digital girlfriend. And you just like, and it's kind of like, and look, it's a great digital girlfriend. I mean, Anna, how do you pronounce her name? Anna de Armas, right? Oh man, I'm terrible at pronouncing things. Whatever. She plays join the film and she's, she's fantastic. I place they, they, they work very well in tandem and much like in her, actually, you you buy hook, line, and sinker into their relationship just as you do Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson, even though it's not it's not a real thing. So right from there, you get a sense of this guy that he's just this replicant. He has to obey. But – and I'll, I'll agree with this. They, they do a little bit of a better job with Kay than with Deckard. Because I do feel like with the original Blade Runner, there was a lot of subtlety in Deckard's character that he even says it himself in the theatrical version with the voiceover where, you know, I'm a Blade Runner. I'm supposed to be cold. I'm supposed to be unemotional. But there's these little things that you can tell where Deckard wants to break out of that shell. Now, here, I think with Kay, it's not as subtle, but it's still really powerful in that 
you can tell he wants something real, but the realest thing he has is, you know, joy. Um, and so it's Which little touches funny. like that that you get right into his character. What I liked about it is beginning because you don't really know, you, you don't find out he's a replicant until he goes into that baseline test, correct? No, no, no. I think I think Dave Batista has a line early on where he's like, "You're one of us." So you you know right away. Oh, that's I'm right. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Well, of course, Big Dave's gonna set it up. Uh, but I loved I things I loved about like not only just showing his replicant, but just like he's he's derided by the police. What they call him a skin job, or yep. and then he's derided by his neighbors. Yeah, and and then he has to do these crazy baseline tests. Which is like that is like for a beginning it's like super intense in the beginning, and, and that was fantastic. The the it's kind of like the new void comp test and the voice. I don't know who did the voice for that um the was, baseline test, but it was very like it was perfect. That it, was really, really it was good. an actor by the name of Mark Arnold. Really, just like I I just love the fast talking like really intense um and is like and then of course oh man it's he goes through the baseline test he aces it. And it's such a like a intense pack and forth. That was a great scene. But then, of course, later when Kay basically has an emotional freaking breakdown, he flunks the baseline test like gloriously flunks it. Oh, and that's such a great scene. It's just this is this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about with screenwriting and filmmaking and just how the story progresses. Perfect perfection. Now, there's my question about Ryan Gosling's uh, acting method. In a lot of ways, he's very much. Mr. Silent Stare, very... The master at it. Just like Tom Hardy is a master with his eyes, Ryan Gosling is master of the intense silence. Yeah, and, and I think, and I know they could always rub people the wrong way. I know it, it drives a very divisive movie. Um, oh, watch your mouth, sir. No, 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 we even have a, a review on the site basically saying how you loved it and someone else absolutely detested it. But that's the type of movie it is. It's not for everybody. Uh, no, no, I, agree. I agree. But I, I think what I loved about Ryan Reynolds in, in this film. <laughs> Do you realize what you just did? Oh, yeah. You we just... know what I love about Ryan Reynolds in this film. He's not in this <laughs> film. Uh, <laughs> I mean, imagine Ryan Reynolds in this film. That'd be great. Yeah, he could have. I, I think there probably could have been a role for him in a Blade Runner movie. But no, it is Ryan Gosling we're talking well, about. Well, if you're also talking about the master of like eyes, I mean, Ryan Reynolds with this, like, his, like, I'm sarcastic. I'm trying not to laugh eyes. Um, but anyway, Ryan Gosling about this um, uh, in this movie that I think my favorite scene of him is the scene where he breaks and just. Oh, yeah. uh, yes. There's this, that, and, and we get to a scene where he is, uh, he meets the creator of the dreams and uh, more on her later. And he, he recounts the dream he's had, which he believes he is not sure if it's an implant or not. And then when she's crying saying, yes, it, this is based on real. And he's like, I know it's real. And then he just flips out, screams and throws a chair. You're like, again, it's just shows the masterful of the direction, the writing, the acting. It's just like, a quiet build to insanity. That's actually my favorite scene in the entire movie. And it's the scene I alluded to in my review and earlier in our discussion. That's for me, that is an Oscar scene. And I'm going to tell you why it's because of course, you know, Ryan Gosling, officer K, like he's a blade runner. He's a replicant, like very cold kind of matter of fact guy. Kind of, but he has kind of his glib moments, which he nails as well um, as only Gosling can. But that scene, he goes, from zero to a hundred in a second and you buy it and it's completely unexpected. 
and he just friggin' nails it. Um, it is, it, it was glorious, and that is that's why I te- that's why I say that not even guys like DiCaprio or Christian Bale, like you know, wonderful actors. You know, that's something that I don't even think they could have incorporated into that performance. That's something that Ryan Gosling would only be able to do. Uh, that, I mean, that scene, it's not only like a huge revelation in the film, but just for his character and how it intertwines with what with what he's trying to find out. I think it's the story is a great setup where it's like, I mean, that's a good hook is that replicants can get pregnant. You know, what the hell's going on here? Uh, but as he kind of goes along further in the story, you realize how closely it's centered around him and that, you know, he could be the child and you kind of feel like there's probably going to be a twist coming there at the end, but, but it keeps you guessing. Uh, and that, so that to me, it's why that particular moment though is my favorite scene in the movie. It, it, it's Gosling at the top of his game. Um, and also the actress, uh, what is her name? I just had it up in front of me two seconds ago. Oh, I'm going to kick myself. Um, she obviously plays a pretty crucial role in the film, which we'll get to later. Um, God damn it, I can't find it. But uh, the actress there did a did a great job as well as kind of like uh, the, Carla, the memory the memory creator. Carla Jury or Yuri, I can't tell. She okay. plays uh, Doctor Anna Staline. Um, here's my question about the uh, the child storyline for you. Okay. Is um, was it almost too obvious at, at times? That it, like it was just like it's key. Everything is pointed at you're the child, you're the child. Where at one point you were just like, obviously he's not gonna be because it was just like it would have been way too obvious, and I think would have really hurt the film if he would have been like, dad, you know, <laughs> Deckard, you know. Well, what no, no, I, I agree. I you knew that there was gonna be some kind of you knew there was gonna be some kind of twist coming where it's not gonna be him. It seemed way too obvious, but but this is where it's good storytelling and. It's this is something we've talked about many times uh, with the Force Awakens. Is that it's okay to be predictable when you and like I, I like seeing it coming that Han Solo is about to die. Okay, because the build up to it is really, 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 really good. Um, I actually and so that moment I was, so that moment yeah. means a lot. And so it works a similar way here. Is that Officer K? All signs point to him being the being the child, but you know there's going to be a curveball that comes in, and when it does, it's very it's very well done. Um, just one quick criticism, though, I will levy at the film, is that I do think Villanueva took a while to get to certain points, and I this is kind of what I alluded to in my review. So when he's in the orphanage. You know that he's going to uncover the horse, okay? Yeah, you know that's that, going to happen. That's and a, that took, that, took it, that takes time. way, it's like a long walk to get there. So I did feel like there were a few moments like that where it was predictable, but he takes too long to get to that moment. It's like, you know. You know. The, the general consensus, uh, some of the consensus I'm seeing from people we know on the site who've seen it or other people through, just through social media, it's just like, this is a very slow building film. But the other thing I've seen in response to that, people are like, oh, God, this, it felt like I watched this movie for four days or this movie was slow. But it was, I was okay with that. And I think oh, that, I was, I was never bored in this movie. The one thing, I was never bored. Uh, the one th- my wife did fall asleep a few times only because our movie was getting past the midnight hour and we had a long day. Uh, but the one thing I noticed is like that scene in particular, there's a lot of hesitant walking from Ryan Gosling. He's always like 
like guardedly approaching something and you're just like can we just get a cut here or something like that like why do we have to I, watch the whole lot especially when he was like walking towards the furnace you're just like just cut we know what's we know he has to walk like 50 feet to the furnace and then make a left you know what i mean like we, we know and the music the music was a little much at that time like yeah. that's one of the things where it's like you know what he's going to uncover here this is something where it's like let's just get to it so we can continue the on with the one story. thing with the reveal i was i was almost like annoyed with when they like it's like you're not the kid was i like the fact he's like no it's a boy and then it goes to the cut over of him saying i i made the, i fooled everyone like i switched the records so I like that, but it also I originally thought it was um, the girl who who um, he slept with. I thought they were saying she was Deckard's daughter, and I'm like, really? I'm like, that's kind of uh, no, yeah, that wouldn't have been good. But no, that's exactly. But I actually, but you know what I thought was going to happen too was like someone wants to see you, and I was like, son of a bitch, are they going to have Rachel show up, and she's not dead? And what happened was that they had actually. Like put burn the serial number on another set of bones. You know what I mean? Oh, that would I would not have liked that at all. Ooh. And I'm glad it didn't happen. That no, way. no, 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 no. And the way they brought Rachel back was well, was brilliant. By the way, um, um, that should just win an Oscar right there. Well, because yeah, the effects, the effects on that because we've seen that too, where they bring back an older character or someone who's passed on. You know, uh, and, and I know you don't like the movie in general, Rogue One. Let's talk about the end with with Princess Le- young Princess Leia. You're just like oh. they make that they make that scene in Rogue One. Look no, I'm like, just saying, no, I'm just saying it it looks bad. You know what I mean? So it's but, awful. Yeah. So and we've seen this elsewhere before, but now like with or where they try and make people young, like uh, Westworld did it with Anthony Hopkins. And they were oh somewhat successful with it. That this, this was seamless. I mean, that was incredible. I don't understand how that happened. It's just like, uh, I literally okay, can't well, get that. Now, from what I've read, you know, they did, like, Sean Young came back and did the role. And so that that's what I've read. And so, and then they, I guess they, I think they had, like, a stand-in actress as well. And then they did a bunch of really intense CGI. Wow. I don't know. I haven't done a full read-up on it. But from what I understand, she actually did come back um, yeah. for a cameo. But that's that, that scene was great because the way Deckard kind of denies it it's like it's not her eyes and of course the eyes were huge were a huge symbol um in the first film and then continued on to this one and now i think we can get to deckard a little bit because just do it well because a couple things i just want to say you know you mentioned it before about how when it was revealed that k wasn't the kid and the reason why I'm okay with that predictability is because of how it's builds up into the story. It's a great thing for Deckard. Like he covered his tracks and he fooled everybody. That's why, you know, that's why it's okay to be predictable sometimes. And even though you can kind of see a twist coming, the way they do it is brilliant, but let's, you know, but with Harrison Ford's performance, now it takes a while to get to Deckard. You know, you have to really, you have to really earn it to get to. to Yeah. He comes in very late and this is what I said in the pregame article. I know it was kind of a cop out, but I said that Ford would be the scene stealer, and holy Moses, he was. Let's let's actually qualify that statement, though. Okay, go ahead. Because you know he was good as Han Solo. He he was Han Solo again. But when was the? And I love Harrison Ford. I've seen you know. But when was the last time you said great performance from Harrison Ford? When was the last I, time we saw? I would call- all his performance in Force Awakens great. Okay, let's let's take but, but this let's was, put but that this aside. was another, but this was another level. 
Yeah, because it's, like this was drama. Like that was yes. him being Han Solo, and he w- went back to a place where we know, and he hit all the perfect notes. But and yeah, that dramatic, that dramatic, you know, the touch of the cheek and everything. Yes, yeah, but like I was gonna say. So yeah, but yeah, gotcha. But like for the most part, that's just him being Han Solo. But I mean, Ugh. even the Indiana Jones, hey, that was meh. And then what else has he done that you're just like that? Really, is just this gripping, well acted piece of drama that he's done. Gosh, this 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 oh, this century. Yeah, it's been years. I mean, that's been well. Like, it's, that's why it was so cool to see him back as Han Solo. Is like, wow, he actually looks like he cares for a change. And then once again, he cares in this one quite a bit. Um, and he's gonna, you know, he's talked about Blade Runner. Like, this was a role he really loved to do. Um, I think it's something he appreciated more than something like Han Solo. I think he's even had, like, conversations with Ridley Scott years later where they would argue about whether Deckard was a replicant or not. Um, but when he but when he comes back in this film, you know, you, you get the same old Deckard. Like, there's this very, there's this coldness about him, but you can tell in Ford's performance that there's something there where he's he's missing something, you know, he's definitely dreaded this life of just, you know, killing replicants. Um, and then, of course, you get hit with the whammy at the end to close out the film where he's reunited with his daughter. And that's where the Deckard emotion comes pouring out and Ford crushes it in that in that moment. Maybe it's something about <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it is something about that actress, because my two favorite scenes in the movie is when. Gosling has a scene with her, and then at the end, Ford has a scene with her. I, I, um, also, I also love how he's like, you basically sit there, and I was like uh, joking with my wife when he when um, when Kay is walking through the ruins of women, nude women. I'm just like, I bet you he's in Vegas. Yeah, and, oh, and, and how it, they used, how they used Vegas was just brilliant. And what's what I was I I, I did have some reservation, and not about Ford going into, but like his first scene where he's just like. I like this song when he's like Elvis comes on. I'm like, oh man, I just don't want him to be like salty old sarcasm machine. You know what I mean? But like, as soon as he starts, like, you know, I think the line, it was almost like a throwaway line. He's like, I got thousands of bottles of whiskey here. And I'm just like, well, that's not a bad way to live. And, but it's just like, it's just like, I'm like, there you go. That That's him slipping back into the role. And I think the line of the movie had to be his like, to, something about it is like you love someone. Sometimes you just have to stay away, and I was just like, "Wow!" That, and that is, and like that is like Deckard's character in a nutshell, because that's been his entire existence. Is he? He's a Blade Runner, and his whole, you know, his whole job is to keep his emotions bottled up, and to just be this like cold, like this cold-hearted guy who just has to get the job done. But years and years and years of, you know, quote, retiring replicants has finally gotten to him. And, you know, that's what you see in this movie. And you're right. That line perfectly sums it up. And then the, the, the scene with him and Jared Leto, who, unfortunately with Jared Leto, I thought, oh, man, we could have had a little bit more of him in this movie because he, he was but you, but fantastic. But you like the performance, and, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like that. Okay. And obviously he was, he was blind. But the one question someone had was, Oh, actually, my wife. I was. Do you think was he a replicant? Yeah, they they really they kind of with played that. their cards close there. I don't know because he, it feels like he could. My be. my guess is no. I'm gonna say no. I, I bet that's an unpopular. Blind. Yeah, I, I think I think that's gonna be an unpopular opinion. That I think most people probably think he is a replicant. 
I say no, and I think that a lot of his kind of robotic nature, like I, I think kind of like what you said, I feel like it's more like medical condition. Um, I, I feel like he he's not a replicant. I, I, maybe I'm wrong on that, but um, but with Deckard, but that scene, like I just love how you know, obviously Deckard's like I'm not I'm not giving you crap. Like, well, know, he also he also is skewed from Ford is skewed from his usual. Harrison Ford finger point screws up his face. He's just like, you listen to me type thing. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, you really saw him just sad. Like, you know, he's cold at times, but then with the whole Rachel thing and even when they play her voice back, it's just, it, it, it just pierces his heart and you're just like, my God, like it's just like this tremendous performance from Harrison Ford, just like really emotional. And you're just like, Oh my God! You're like we're so used to him just like acting with his fists, you know what I mean? Like just being an action guy um, or being the grumpy guy, you know. But here, and then it, yeah, it's just, yeah wow! It's just like and the way he played off, the way he played off Leto and Leto. I mean, he gave it right back, man. Like they could have uh, again, like if he he no one could have played that role but him, in my opinion. He was perfect for that part, even though it was very oh, small. Leto? Yeah, he was absolutely perfect. Oh yeah, it's uh, he's just he's just this uncomfortable scumbag, and he was just like it made you like just you just like felt gross watching him. The only um, thing just, I think maybe, and I think it will actually it might have killed the movie, it, like because I was just like I felt like they needed to be like we need to kind of like in the first one too. You need a little more to almost be on his side. Because he's like, I'm trying to do something good here. And you always just got, no, he's the bad guy. No, you see, to me, like, he was really, I mean, I guess, look, technically, he did do something good in that he really kind of saved the, I don't don't want to say, like, say, save the world, but it was his designs. Yeah, he kind of did, I guess. But yeah, it was his designs that did it. But just, like, the way he experimented and was trying to find the formula so um replicants could be pregnant like that like that was just like me it just seemed like unnatural and that's why he just seemed to me like a very kind of scummy guy and it was still kind of for selfish reasons um just to kind of seek his own end um and i mean that that point is made pretty clear when he disposes of the replicant that gets you know dumped out of the ceiling he's just like yeah no this didn't work and he just kind of tosses it aside so no, look, I, I get what you're saying. Like, could it have been more interesting if they kind of played him more as a multi-layered villain? Villain, possibly. Uh, but I think for the sake of the movie, this worked better. Yeah, I think so too. Um, but well, yeah, go ahead, man. Well, speaking of Deckard, I you know just and you also think he's going to get like kind of the ultimate sad ending of like he has to die to kind of uh, push forward the replicant cause. Um, and even though you could kind of make the argument of like, yeah, I kind of saw that coming. I, I wasn't sure. I really didn't know how things were going to end, uh, for Deckard. Uh, but I do like, I, I think I, I like the decision that Kay makes at the end. Like, I'm not going to appease either side here. I'm going to do its best for this guy and we're going to fake his death. And it was the perfect ending. And it was also just kind of like the perfect kind of bittersweet ending for Kay. I really, uh, yeah, that I really, last that last shot in the snow. I really liked the fact he was he kept talking about sacrifice and sacrificing yourself, and he kept hearing that, and I was just like, I you know, because I really thought I'm like, I guess Harrison Ford will sacrifice himself, but I like that ending way better 
because it was just such a better payoff because what was there for K if he survived? Nothing. Nothing. His, he didn't his, have his a digital, job. His, his digital gal got crushed. There was nothing. Let's talk, no about, let's talk about that for a second. Like, <laughs> that was so, that, that was the, a little... Well, well, this is actually what I was talking about with her. So, like, so the scene where uh, the who, who's the actress who plays basically the um, it's the person who you thought was going to be the daughter, and so uh, you know so, she comes. Uh, uh, oh yeah, Mackenzie Davis. So Mackenzie Davis comes up to his apartment, and you know she basically like morphs with the digital hologram. Uh, so, but but they actually. The reason why that scene didn't really like it, it was a cl- it, it was clever and it was interesting, but they did the same thing in her. Like they did the exact same thing in her. It was a little different, but they basically have like a model come up to Joaquin Phoenix's apartment, and you have and she doesn't say anything, and so she basically like pretends like she's talking, but it's really Scarlett Johansson saying everything and so they basically did a similar thing here which was it's it's a weird scene but it was i mean it was interesting like it's definitely the type of it's definitely the type of sequence that you would see in a blade runner movie i guess i'll just say that yeah um i actually like uh i thought the the like you knew it was coming especially it like that was a little yeah, yeah. like that was like coming uh, and, and Come on, Officer K deserved it. You know he had a rough run. You know in the first two hours of the movie. All right. No, no, no. I know you saw it coming where he, where <laughs> she was going to um, where the the thing was going to get destroyed. The handheld device. You know that was going to come. That like I, that was very spelled out. Um, but I I really loved that relationship and the actress, like you said, Anna de Armas, will describe. I really thought that added a lot to K's character, um, and that made and. I don't know. I just like it, it was sadder at the end where she shows up as like the fake, like she shows up as the giant nude billboard, basically. Yeah, and, and that's and, like and that's, that's, that's what he knew. Trip. He was I, that was great because he's just like she was like I have this in my mind, but that was all fake, and I have to go. I have nothing now because she wasn't my individual girlfriend like she's a a a product yeah he even like you know i you know i kind of joke about earlier but he did but no he like he he feels kind of guilty about it you know after Mackenzie comes up to his apartment he's like he didn't he doesn't want to do this like it's so it's such a weird character dynamic because he feels like he's betraying his girlfriend who isn't real like it's a it's a very it's a very uh, complex character moment for him, I think. And I think it does build off of that pretty well when you mentioned the scene with the billboard, which is a scene in the trailer that kind of intrigues you. And you're like, what is this about? Like, why is he randomly like, like touching like a hologram? Like, what is this? Um, and then of course you, you see why in the film, which was brilliant. And just one of the, and just one of, uh, here, uh, here's a transition for you. Just one of the thousand great visuals throughout this damn film. You know what? It's <laughs> what again? Like we were talking about, like the lack of effort, like the effortlessness. Not lack of effort. Sorry, wrong choice of words. The effortless, effortlessness. The natural, how natural everything feels. This could have been like the cinematography of this could have been so pretentious and so like art. Of course, everything because it just like you know, if in, in lesser hands, this would have looked like oh my god, they're trying so hard to look cool. 
But every shot in this film, everything was done. The art direction, the cinematography, just how everything with the world that was created was just impeccable. Impeccable is the word I want to use because, again, it could, in lesser hands, this would have felt like, oh my God, what are they, what are they doing here? This would have, felt, you know, what this would have felt like at times. It would have felt like the cell. Like, remember that movie with uh, J Lo? I don't even think I saw that one. Yeah, at times it gets it, it gets really weird for weird sake. It's an okay movie, but it gets weird for weird sake. And at this, everything there is just composed perfectly. And that's what I love about the first one. It's just like everything is like could be a portrait. You know what I mean? Everything is posed visually perfectly, and I think they was. It was both a love letter to that film as well as just a re, just a, a visionary look at the future, in my opinion. Well, this was just, I mean, yeah, it goes without saying that this is what, and this is why I was never bored during the movie, even though it's very long. There's always something interesting to just look at. Um, but unlike something like Avatar, this movie Again, has characters. This, right. char- this movie has characters and story to back it up. Um, instead of that empty blue Smurf vessel, but look, I yeah, as a perfect just, example, by the way, it, it is that literally is just a pretty movie that they, they, that's that fun for like forty five minutes, but then it's like okay, the visuals can only take you so far. Now I'm bored. Exactly. But this one, it's you know, this is what I said in my review. It's like you get this futuristic city, you know, you get desert landscapes, you get snow, you know, then you get all these like really kind of fancy schmancy rooms, like uh, Jared Leto's kind of loft there with like the water and just kind of the walls that kind of looked like they were kind of gold plated almost. Um, it just you know, and I mean, they sunk a lot of budget into this movie, which sadly we'll get to later, but you can see it on the screen and. It, yeah, it like there's no way in hell that Roger Deakins is losing this Academy Award. It, like I, I'll give up bagels for six months. Okay, not no chance. I, if he if he loses Best Cinematography here, then uh, like I said, then he's got to be the biggest jerk in Hollywood. Yes, yeah, it no, would have to be because not only you have two factors going here. First of all, like, let's just say there wasn't a Roger Deakins factor. I think the cinematography for this movie would win anyway, okay? But B, you have the Deakins factor on top of that. He won. Yeah. The end. Yeah, it's just like, man, it's just like every shot is just like, and it, and it makes sense. It's logical. That's You know what I mean? Like, he's in these big cityscapes. It makes sense. He's in the ruins. Everything makes sense. And then even like, get uh, take away the sweeping moments. How about the part where he's just like the shot with him with all the bees on his hand, or um, yeah. the way the the Vegas nightclub scene is, is lit, um, or just him walking through snow, or the billboards, or him landing like the way the um, in the opening where Dave Bautista's farm is so desolate and gray. You know what I mean? Just like everything is just wonderfully done. It's just like, like again, impeccable is a word I keep using because it is. And, and just Roger Deakins, just, everything is framed magnificently. And it's just, again, you're right. I just don't know how he is, how he could lose this. I think Tommy Tracy, one of our film writers, was like, uh, so if he, uh, if he doesn't win, 
Uh, what does that mean? I said, the world is a terrible place, Tommy. That's what it means. It means this world uh, is a terrible it, place. It's not, it's not going to happen. It's not even a worry for me. It's a lock. Like he, he'll win. Um, but you know, it's in some ways, this isn't so much of a cinematography Deacons factor. I still am a little more impressed with the original movie only because, you know, Less that was only because that hands. exactly 1982, no CGI. So, which which still well, makes also, that film more impressive. Also, visually. that's the that's the blueprint. They, they, that was from scratch. That's true. Not, that's not like you know this movie had like you know it had nods to it with Pan Am, the Pan Am sign or the Atari sign, which was ironic. I was wearing an Atari shirt when I was watching this, but you know <laughs> there, there was winks and nods to the original film through it. So I mean they had something to work off of. Um, but yeah, it's just like I, I think that really spoke to just the attention to detail that they had there. And to, but what makes it to me is what makes it's better than anything yeah. in sci-fi that I've seen for a long time. Like I, I, I think of sci-fi over the last, you know, last seventeen years or something like that. I'm like, it's I haven't seen too many films that can touch what Blade Runner twenty forty nine did in terms of visuals and set design, cinematography, all in one. Right, and, and it's you just mentioned Max all three of those things, and it's going to win. It's going to win all three of those awards. It's going to win art direction. It's going to win cinematography, and it's going to win visual effects. It's probably not going to win sound awards because Dunkirk still exists. But you know, we'll see. But yeah, it's just you know, we we got to just give the set design to your credit because. I, you know what you know what really makes this movie special to me and what really stands out in like I said I'm gonna answer the question on whether I think this is better than the original movie in a little bit but I think where this movie is so impressive is that they had a really tough act to follow with the original Blade Runner I mean because even if like someone like you who you know has quibbles with the story and some of the characters you know I, I would I would imagine that obviously you think the visuals are still top notch oh, in that original movie but where this movie is so impressive to me is that they were still able to put their own stamp on it um especially in the shadow of Blade Runner like like I said you get the whole futuristic city. You get all that stuff you got from the first Blade Runner. But they also go outside their comfort zone in these kind of like really, really intense looking desert shots. Um, and like the nightclub scene that you that you mentioned, you know, you, you kind of get you kind of get a scene like that in the first Blade Runner. But this was way more creative uh, and interesting in terms of like when they're going at it and they're fighting and you have the distorted, like, uh, you know, singing visuals and stuff like that. It, it's just, it's that type of creativity that you don't really see a lot these days in movies. I actually think you saw some of it in Valerian, but that's a conversation for another day. Mm. Um, but let me ask you, so, you know, visuals great. We've talked about a lot about the main characters, any other just kind of like, side characters or smaller supporting roles that you really enjoyed? I mean, Robin Wright is Robin Wright. I honestly have nothing else to say. Uh, hmm. Because I, I have another one that we I'm surprised we haven't talked about yet, which is the other villain. Um, love. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, Jared her. Leto's kind of right-hand woman there. Yeah, you know what's funny about her is um, uh, Sylvia... Hex, I want to say, or hoax. Uh, I'm glad you the, you took the first try. It I was would not say is heck, um, hoax. Um, she plays love. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Um, man, that that was a character that could have easily gone bad because that was like, oh, here's like the here's like the 
right-hand-killing-machine type who's maniacal. And that could have easily been such a cartoon character of a, of a role. But I, to me, she nailed it. I wanted to see her go. I'm like, she's got to die. And I, like, like, I'm just like, he, Kay has to end her. And, like, that's like, I was just like, when, when he did, you're like, well, thank God. <laughs> Oh, she was just pure evil, and but you, she's the classic. You love to hate her character. Played her role really well. I, I, I think it was, um, yeah, the, the actress did a fantastic job. Just intense and kind of almost comical at times, uh, but a really good villain who, you know, when and you know she she plays a pretty big role at the end. I mean, she's kind of like the last line between those guys getting out of there. Uh, and so she's, you know, she's even more heavily, you're even more heavily invested in her at the end than Jared Leto, who just kind of goes away at the end. Uh, so it's very important that her character worked well. I will say this though. And so this kind of leads me into, do I like this better than the original? Um, I'm going to say no. And I, I basically said this in my review too. I look, I love Blade Runner 2049. It is fantastic. And it is right there with the first one. There's just a few, there's just a few small things for me where I think the original has it over this one. One of the reasons is actually the villains. Because I and like I said, I think I think Jared Leto's great, and I think Love was great as well. These were really top-notch antagonists that fit the story well. Um I do appreciate the more eccentric villains in the first one. I like Roy Batty and I like Pris a lot, who I consider the original Harley Quinn. So there, but the other reason is not just because of how kooky and nuts they were in that first Blade Runner film, even though the story in this movie is great. Um, I actually like aspects of, of the story in the first one better because it was more personal, you know, the, the villains, like you actually, this goes back to something you were saying earlier. You didn't really feel like Jared Leto, for example, was that multi-layered villain. See, right, I think, yeah. I think, I think Roy Batty and Pris were multi-layered villains. You did feel sympathetic towards them because he, they were just, they were just victims of their designs and they were just looking for longer lifespans. And, like when when you when they couldn't find those and they found that there was no way they could get those, you felt bad for them, and that's why the end of the first Blade Runner hits you hard. Is you just see Roy Batty just expire in the rain, and it's kind of heartbreaking. Uh, so that's where that's one of the reasons why I think the original has it a little over this one. Is I, I like that. the more personal. I like the more personal goals. Whereas this one, and I appreciate it for this, was more grand in style. Yeah, I think uh, I can see where you're coming from. I, I just thought Roy's character was like, he has that arc and it's like going, going, going. And then the end the end is just like, I don't know, like kind of campy in some respects. Like him just uh, going, uh, come on. No, a no, little, no. It's, like, it's a little too, a little like too over the little too over the top and then all of a sudden he's like you know what I've, I've been trying to kill you for the last 10 minutes now i'm gonna save your life you know what i mean and then pris is like kind of got interesting but man i could have used a little bit more you know what i mean i just felt like there was just like something with her where i'm just like give me give me two more minutes of just something with her that i could grab onto and i never felt that uh but i agree that you had more of a reason to be conflicted and have more emotion with the villain 
and question everything as opposed to this because it was like you knew love was just a straight up killer and she needed to go you know right and right. that was a little more straight up like sci-fi than noir in that respect you know what i mean but i guess the more of the conflict was within k i guess but yeah i, I can see why you say that I, I also the other reason why I think the original has it over this one is and this is going to be the weirdest criticism I've probably ever had at a movie. But I almost feel like Blade Runner 2049. It's almost too perfect. Like, I think that this one is so polished. I kind of like the I think that the first one is more hard edged and grittier. Uh, and that just speaks to kind of more of my sensibilities um, whereas this one, it ha- it has those aspects too. Like, I don't want to make it seem like it doesn't. Uh, but I think that this one, 2049, like it's almost, I think it is a victim of just kind of its time where how movies are made in 2017, where they just look so computer generally well, think- and so CGI-ified, which is what, they had to go that route. I mean, it is what it is. But I think that that, unfortunately... Two, two schools of thought on that. Yeah, okay, yeah. The, the first is, I guess, from a... Trying to logically think this out is, like, well, the first Blade Runner took place in 2015? In 2019, 2019. Okay, 2019. I know it was either two years before now or two years after now. So, 49, so it's 30 years in the future. 2015 is Back to the Future Part 2. 2019 is So get them straight. That's it. That's (laughs) it. Um, So, yeah, so it's like, okay, this happened, and it transforms the movie, or animated movie, took place in the year 2000. Um, Oh, well, there you go. In the year 2000. The Autobots and Decepticons. Anyway, uh, it's like, you know, so it would look less, a little less gritty because they, it's like, X amount of years removed. It's thirty years removed from the first film, you know, you know, literally and figuratively. And in, in so, wouldn't things be a little bit more sharper, less grimy, less gritty? Because quote unquote, there's been an evol- you know, there's been like technological advances within the world of the film, not just how you make movies. The other aspect of it, I take it as, is like they took the noir concept and plopped it into sci-fi and then that became the blue blade run became like the blueprint really for the neo-noir film the sci-fi noir film right and now this is just taking the blue you know that instead of like that the inspiration for that was the old black and whites the humphrey bogarts the you know dial in for murder stuff this this film's inspiration was the first film so it'd be like, it's my take on the neo-noir, not my take on the 1940s. You know what I mean? Kind of an odd argument, but it's just like, it's adapting the blueprint and putting it in today's technology, like how the first film took that, you know, old concept of the noir film and plopped it into a sci-fi world. I think that's fair. I, I'll say this, though. Um, you know, and I... Clearly, we're not going to get a sequel because of the, the box office, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I, but let's just say in a perfect world, it did the box office that we thought it was going to be, and they're like going all in on a sequel. I actually would not want to see a sequel to this. What, film. What, where's the sequel? What's the sequel? I mean, what's the, the story? Well, I'm gonna. 
I'm going to, I'm going to tell you exact. this is exactly why I don't want to see a sequel is because I'll tell you where they were going to go. Um, what they were going to do, just my opinion is that they were setting up like, here's the war between the, it's the replicant uprising. I have zero interest in was seeing that, was that, that ever, story. Was that ever a thing or is that just no, like not a, in, no, no, no. I mean, it was a thing in this one. I mean, I felt no, like, no, no. I mean, was, was there ever like talk of like, Ooh, you know, we could make this. Like... No, 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 no. This is just, I'm just, these are just my opinions from seeing the movie of where I think they would have gone if we were going to get a sequel to this movie. I don't know is if I think, that would have, I, I just can't see this God, franchise. They, being they could sure. Well, here's the bottom line: is I, I feel like that's where they were. They would have set up for a sequel. Is like it's it's the replicant uprising and it's us against them and zero interest. I, I don't want to see that at all. To me, you know what? You know what that becomes? It, it, it will Terminator. become it becomes the no the Matrix sequels. Yeah, that's what it is. And we all know how those turned out. It's a story I don't want to see. So you know that that because Blade Runner is about it's 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 more of personal character stories with blade runners um kind of trying to solve what's going on here and trying to hunt down replicants and you know these detective stories you know neo nor like whatever it's not about you know here's the uprising and ah it's a war now like i i have no i would have had no interest in seeing that so given the given how long it took to make a sequel and now, given everything else, I don't think, especially given how long it took to make a sequel, I don't know if this movie was ever going to have a sequel to be made from it because you basically would have to like get Harrison Ford to be um. I, I just don't know. I just can't. Nah, see. Well, I, I don't. You would have. I if it made the money, it was go, it was it was supposed to make. I think they would have done it. Um, I don't think. I think Harrison Ford's story ended. I don't think they would have gone back to that well. Uh, I think they would have done, I think they would have, like I said, I think they would have gone this war route. Um, and you probably would have gotten a, new, a bunch of new characters. Um, but a few of them that they introduced in here definitely would have stuck around. Ugh. So, you know, I, yeah, I mean, look, maybe it's for the best that it didn't work, but that does. So let's, let's actually talk about the box office. We've danced around it a bunch. We and... have danced around it. It saddens me, Bill. It really does. So I'm in our sad. pregame, I said, like, I think this will have a strong opening but it wouldn't do, for example, it wouldn't do like what it, how it opened up. No, no, no. So what it was, never had a chance of that. Yeah, and and for me, I just see it like my reasons. I was like, it, it, what? What did it end at? I, I want to say thirty five. Thirty one million dollars. <sighs> let's let but let's let's like contextualize that. Like that's, on a budget, by the way. I mean, according to Box Office Mojo, one fifty. So, you know, by the time you factor in worldwide gross, I mean, you know, not going to bomb, but uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I mean that's not a this was bad. This was bad. This is a bad opening. But 31, is that a, such a terrible opening? Because they were expecting 45, right? That's what they were predicting. I, I felt like I, I was reading more, and I really feel like, and this is what, I, I think this is one of the reasons why the box office didn't do as well as as people thought is this was in the, in the greatest sense a front loaded movie. What do I mean by that? I think the diehards who really, really, really wanted to see this thing. They all went Thursday night. My, I saw it Thursday night and my theater was packed to the brim. 
now, sold out. I saw it, uh, conversely, I saw it on Saturday night, uh, a late 3D showing. Uh, my wife counted there were seven people, including us, in the theater. And I think, and and I was reading about how I, I that like it was on track to do gravity numbers after the Thursday night showings, and gravity did something like around fifty five, something like that. And so I think that's one of the reasons why it just didn't hit box office wise is the people who really wanted to see it they saw it opening night, and I guess they didn't go back for repeat viewings. So. Here's what I, I think there's a couple reasons. And this, this was some of my fears. And I'm not sure if I expressed it in our pregame column or not because I just can't remember. Is my concerns were the following. It's a sequel to not exactly a movie everybody's seen. A lot of people have seen Blade Runner. But it's not a sequel to a movie that the everyday person watches. Um, this is a movie buffs movie. If you like sci-fi, if you love movies, you probably enjoyed Blade Runner and you were you were into this. Arrival was not exactly, you know, it made good money. It made it made really good money. But that was a compiler. It took word of mouth. It took time. I think it did a thirty-four million dollar opening. I think, and then it compiled like. I think I actually had it in my column, but um, I, I remember it was like thirty-ish, and then it, you know, it, it dropped, 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 but it stayed twenty-four million opening weekend. Okay, so it was twenty-four. Sorry, I, I so, but it made over a hundred. But it had staying power. It, it was like in fantasy football, you have those players that week to week doesn't look great, but at the end of the season, you're like, oh, geez, they had a pretty good year. Um, Philip Rivers. <laughs> Philip Rivers. I'm just maybe. saying that because he's my quarterback in two leagues. So uh, there you go. Uh, Aaron Rodgers a few years ago, you know, I, I had that and where he like week to week, you're like, Oh, you're killing me, dude. And then he would have one or two big games and skew the numbers. But with this, I feel like it's just like a lot of people, there's a, a large chunk of people who didn't see the first movie. So they're like, ah, I have to watch the first movie to really understand this. And you kind of do. Um, and also I feel like you also were, it made a lot of money out the gates. And I think even Kingsman made a lot of money out the gates because yeah, we came off of eight weeks almost of crap. We had nothing. We had bad movies. So everyone's like, "I want something good." And now people, the box, the 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 selection of movies has gotten a lot better. And people are like, "Ah, I can wait." Uh, this one's going to need the word of mouth. And I think that people are getting it out there. But it's sci-fi. Sci-fi is not always the easiest sell. It's also not rock and roll sci-fi action movie like The Matrix. So it's not going to get that, oh, well, hey, if you like sci-fi, you like action, you're going to see it. This is a, a cerebral movie, so I think people might be a little um, frightened off by it. But again, it's like people who want, like you said, I think everyone who wanted to see it, they did go see it. And I don't think uh, Blade Runner is a movie like... Um, Gosh, like, uh, I can't even think. That's like a beloved well, classic that everyone, like billions of people are going to go watch it. Well, I'm going to tell you why. I, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. I, I, I am devastated. I, I really felt, I really thought that this movie was going to clean up. I really did. And the movie, and here's going to be my counter argument. And I compared it to this movie a lot. Mad, Mad Max. Max Fury Road. That, I think you could put all the same indicators and arguments that you just had and that it's kind of i mean i know there were three of them but they were niche 
Not everybody's seen them. People really kind of forgot about them. But then you look at Mad Max Fury Road. Insane word of mouth. Big buzz. Same thing with this one. And Mad Max Fury Road did really well. And this one didn't. But why? Mad, Mad Max also has the action factor of even if you yeah. didn't see the other movies, it Mad Max Fury Road is a one long chase movie. And so it's an easier sell. Yeah, it's post-apocalyptic. It's that. It's this. It's that. It is a chase movie. And when you watch those trailers, it was high octane, high energy, in your face, badass action, car chases, crashes. There's Charlize Theron. There's Tom Hardy. Ah, they're fighting. They're doing stuff. This was just like, here's just this very epic, cerebral, expansive slow moving trailer even though the trailers weren't exactly like to us who love stuff like that we're like oh my god this looks amazing but to the everyday they'd be like okay that kind of looks cool but i don't know if i really want to invest in that you know whereas like mad max was like bang 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 in your face here's this here's this here's this you know what i mean i you know what you make a good point and i almost feel like I, I, I think that Blade Runner 2049, it was almost too good. Because too here's why too, is, I think. Th- nah, here's why I say that, In though. The trailer, it's I because even, even someone like me who loved this movie, and I want to see it again, I don't want to run back out and go watch it again. Like I need It's a movie that you need to digest. And it's also a, and, ca- it's also a caveat movie, whereas you're like, You'll like, uh, like, if you're trying to recommend this to people, you're like, well. It's a time it, commitment, too. And I think that's that's the biggest reason why I think the box office did what it did. It's the runtime. Two hours and 45 minutes. I, I think this is going to be something that studios are really, really going to evaluate going forward. Movies are too long. And I think people look at that runtime. And this is something, Bill, that we discussed before we recorded you know, you get the trailers on top of that that are now like thirty minutes. Yeah, I had and about I think and I, and I think that's and I think that's why people I think that's probably why a lot of people maybe stayed away from this one is they looked at the runtime and were like, "Are you kidding me? Two hours and forty four minutes? It's like I'm probably gonna have to get up and go to the bathroom and like I'm gonna miss stuff." And I mean, I got, so, I went to a nine forty five movie and I ended up getting out of there like quarter to one. Yeah, and, and and it's not that the and look I for you and me yeah, like yeah. I think the runtime is justified. Like I don't think there's a wasted minute. I mean, sure, as we talked about, maybe a few edits here and there, but generally, I feel like the runtime was justified. But I think we're and I think you you've brought up these points before. I think the problem that Blade Runner had when you compare it to something like Inception, for example, okay, which is also a ridiculously long movie, but that movie is action packed. This one isn't action-packed. It is more kind of prodding and thought-provoking. And so it's just, unfortunately, even if you really love the movie and you're telling people to go see it, you're not going to go back for a repeat viewing. And if you are, it's not going to be for a little while because it's it's a movie that... You have to spend almost three hours on. And and you, it's something that you really need to think about more. And you don't want to go right back into the to the fires with it. Um, yeah, because if you look at the movies that got like the the really crazy word of mouth this year, and we talked about this in our summer podcast, and, and in the fall too, it okay, what it you know it got crazy good word of mouth, and it, I, I don't know what you thought of it, but you know I thought it was it was a really good movie. And, still haven't seen it. 
I'm the one guy. Oh man! Oh, I, I, I we'll know. Talk I'm about gonna, this later. But you know, I'm gonna do it. But it's like people talk about it. Why? Well, it's scared. There's scariness. There's it's frightening. But oh, but it's funny and it, it's got a good story. And that's what you could and see. That's the thing. What's the first thing you have to sell people on it is like the easy big hook. And what's the easy big sell for it? Oh, it's scary. But here's what else it has. What's the big hook for Wonder Woman or Baby Driver, which also did very good? Oh, it the action. Logan was. The board of mouth on that was, oh man, this movie was like crazy intense, but it was based on character everybody knows. And exactly. Been watching it was for already, 17 it was a, years. And that's how X-Men films usually work is like when an X-Men film gets good word of mouth, people go. When yeah. they don't, they but, don't. But, like but even the caveat there was like, oh, this is R-rated, you know, it's it's yeah. it's heavy. But it's at the same time you sit there with this movie, it's just like you almost feel like you have to throw disclaimers on this movie. It's like, well, I love this movie, but, you know, it's long. It moves slow. Did you see Arrival? Because that's what, like, did you see the first movie? So I feel like there's a lot of, ugh, I have to put a lot of work in to see this movie because I didn't see the first movie. Or maybe I have to go rewatch the first movie. I haven't seen it in a long time. I have to sit through three hours. I have to be patient with this movie. Because it, the people who love this, people come out of this movie, they love it, but they also know you have to have that patience with it. because, And they tell people that because they're like... The payoff is coming, and you will love the payoff, but don't be that, oh, I don't have 90 million cuts coming right now. Why, why is this, why can't I do this? You know what I mean? Wait, it's not like people, like, no one's, nobody's walking out of Blade Runner 2049, like, disappointed and be like, oh, well, that was a waste of my time. Everyone's happy with the experience. It's just the problem is getting people to go to that experience. I almost um, feel like this movie should this. I mean, I don't, and again, the VOD home video market, like I don't even sure how it works anymore. You know what I mean? That used to be so much more quantifiable. Um, but like Mad Max had a huge hit. It was a, it was a, a very successful in that re- respect because people, the recommendations were there where this one is like, again, it's like three hours. Are people really going to jump into it? You know, I don't know. You know, you know what's going to help it, though? You, you know, know what's what? going to help it? And you know what's going to help in its VOD run? If it gets nominated the, for Oscars. It, well, because it's going to get nominated for Oscars. And much like Mad Max Fury Road, it's going to win Oscars. And so, can I, what, can I ask so you when, a question about that before we get into okay. it? Do you sure. think box off, if this does not do well, if this is quote-unquote a flop, um, because that's always in very loose terms. And Tom Cruise, how many quote-unquote flops as he has, and you look at the end of the day how much money they make because American Made was a movie, everyone. Go see it. Yeah. So. Uh, it, that was uh, Dan's quick uh, endorsement for American Made. Um, but the thing is, like, if this movie doesn't do well, it's a flop, will the Academy be like, ah, You read my read my mind because this was definitely in my notes of what i want to talk about okay as far as the technical awards go i don't even if this movie made a dollar it was gonna get it's getting nominated for all the technical stuff i really like, think, i don't think really i think it really i think it would be an utter crime if it doesn't it, it no it's i think it's fine like cinematography visual effects art direction you know i'm sure it will be nominated for sound stuff like it's well, gonna get here, the, here's my question about the, cinematography too Okay. If it doesn't get nominated for Best Picture, does that will that disqualify? Will that like give it less of a chance? No, no, no. It will be fine. But that's but you lead me to my next topic here is, sadly, because of its box office and it's just not getting the mainstream push. You know, this is something that I really did think had a chance at big awards. I don't feel that way anymore. I don't. Either. I th- no, and it's uh, it sucks because I really think this this is a movie that probably needed that mainstream push 
And then the Academy would be like, all right, we got to really kind of take this one seriously. Now with kind of the box office and people just not even really being like, yeah, you know, I didn't even go see it. Like whatever. I, it's, you know, like best picture director, you know, I think you can kind of sadly throw that stuff out the window. Um, cause I really, I really felt like, and especially, and I know it's still really early and this is a discussion for end of the year podcast bill, but you know, so far I, I'm not impressed with the Oscar movies and now it's still very early days, but like I've seen things like stronger, uh, battle of the sexes and I, I'm just not impressed. Um, and I just kind of have this feeling that this is going to be kind of the inverse of last year where the Oscar movies were great. Mainstream films sucked. I actually think there's been some really good mainstream movies um, and the Oscar movies so far have not been great. And But even I feel like the ones that are coming down the pike, I don't think look that great. And Blade Runner, to me, would have been in prime position this year had it gotten the mainstream push to maybe get into like best picture talk and best director talk. But now it's not going to happen, but it will be up for all the technical awards and it will win them. So that makes me happy. So here's a question. I just going back to box office and this will, I know, you know what? I'll say this for the wrap up. Um, my, my, my thoughts are like, I think, yes, this will hurt its chances except for one. Okay. I I have this like itch in the back of my head that I can't get rid of for this movie. Harrison Ford for best supporting actor cannot Not be gonna. ruled out. It Not can't gonna. be ruled out though. I don't. I mean, there's a there's like a lot of I you know. Okay, uh, there's, we've there's talked about a, Patrick Stewart before. I know that's what I was gonna say. Like I'm here, I'm hoping that one of these three guys gets into the supporting acting race. Okay, Patrick Stewart, Harrison Ford here. And then the other one, I, this is a, this is a total, total gut call. Never going to happen in a million years. I know, but I just have a feeling about Mark Hamill's performance in Star Wars, the last Jedi. I, I know I, long, long shot, but you know, whatever. I'm hoping that one of these mainstream performances gets in, but we'll see. I would love to be on board with you and bill quite honestly, if this movie, like I just talked about, did the box office that it was supposed to do and got a push, maybe he would get into the discussions. But now, because I think it's just kind of, I think kind of Blade Runner is just going to float away. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to be brought up for these major awards. I think, yeah, I mean, I think Harrison Ford will be on the outside looking in. But, yeah. he definitely, but man, it's just like. When was the last time I, he was? I would nominate Ryan Gosling. I think that is an Oscar worthy. See, especially uh, didn't he just win it for last year? Did he win mm -hmm. last year? For best no, 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 no. Uh, who? Why? Why am I drawing a blank here? Who won it last? No, he year? did not win it for. Yeah, you're right. He did not win it for last year. He's gonna kill me. Why, who? Who the hell won best? Oh, it was uh, Casey Affleck. Okay. Oh yeah, that's right. Everyone. Oh no, people thought Ryan Gosling was gonna win because they're like, there's no chance in hell Casey Affleck's uh, gonna uh, win after everything that. that just happened. Uh, but they were wrong. Um, I can't see him being nominated for this. Oh, he has no chance. I think he should be, but you know. I, I, I don't know. I still think Harrison Ford, man. You gotta, you gotta. Yeah, I would love to see it. I, I would love to. This is, but okay. I, I so do... let's 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 play devil's advocate because why okay. not? Yeah, uh, gun to your head. Who who deserves it more? A nomination of the of the uh, two we talked about: Harrison Ford or Patrick Stewart? Oh, pa Patrick Stewart. Yeah, it's, and I think so too. It's actually, a, a good transition. As much as I love Blade Runner 2049, it's incredible. It will finish 
definitely, unless there's some movies that are going to wow me later on, still early, it will finish in my top five. The the champion so still, for me, that holds up as the best movie of 2017, Logan, is still holding the fort for me. I, I still think that's the best movie of 2017. Yeah, no movie has as much as I loved and enjoyed Baby Driver, as much as it was a ridiculously scary and good movie, and as as wonderful as this movie was, um, none of them are taking the belt off of Logan. The, no. Just the emotional gut punch that was that movie, just and just the acting all around. I just can't do it. Uh, 20th Century Fox said, oh, we're doing an Oscar push. <sighs> we'll see. It's going to be, I mean, this, you know, I know this is our Blade Runner podcast, but it's going to be, it's going to be interesting, I think, this year with Oscars, because I just, I just have this feeling that the Oscar films aren't going to hit as strong. And this could, this could be the year where there's an opening for a Logan to get in the race, but very, it's a discussion for another day. Very possible. So, the, uh, so Dan, in, in, in closing, thinking about this, uh, since you're the Blade Runner guy, I'll let you close it out. But for me, when it comes to the box office, and in the long run, that doesn't impact my how I think of this movie. But I almost feel like, are we that surprised that a Blade Runner movie wasn't like a gargantuan hit? I mean, if you could go back to the first one, it didn't. It it it, it didn't even make budget. It didn't cover its budget the original film, even though that was like, it made 27 million, it cost 28 to make, you know, it's a movie that's been embattled for so many years and has built a lore upon itself. I think maybe we place too much like, ah, and with a great trailer, great reviews, we're like, oh, this one's going to be make boatloads. But in the end, I can't say I'm overly shocked. However, to me, at the end of the day, why I feel bad if, if this movie loses money, my self own selfish reasons. This is a terrific movie that I had a tremendous amount of time, a tremendous time watching, and will invest those two, almost three hours in watching again. It won't be next week, because that's just not how my life works, going to see the same movie more than once. Um, but I will be watching this again on, a, on a, an HD somewhere, because it, and I cannot recommend it enough to people. Um, and it is just a terrifically acted, shot, written movie. It, it is fantastic. And I just can't recommend it enough. I think it was great. It'll definitely, like you said, it'll end up in my top five, if not top three of the year. And uh, I'm glad I went to the movies to see this. Yeah, I'm just just on the box. That was quickly. And it's obviously, um, it also was, I also like this better than the original. So uh, I, I, I am surprised. I really did think this was going to do very well at the box office. I get it, sci-fi. I get it, the original Blade Runner, kind of a niche film, and it's been a long, 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 long time. But I really, I really felt like the buzz was there for this thing, and this does kind of kill the the Rotten Tomato theory that I think that it we've really discussed does. in the past. I yeah, we, can this, we can we talk about that just for one second? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really like I. It really blew our of, whole. It really blew our whole like theory of just like you know strong rotten tomatoes tremendous word of mouth from critics and advanced audiences and you know it had two amazing trailers yeah and everyone was really geared up for it i mean but again i guess i guess kind of you know uh, you know shame on me because 
it really was only blowing up in our little kind of pop culture film world where, you know, of course, guys like us and, you know, in sort of our circle and the online kind of film community, we're all looking forward to Blade Runner. You know, we we kind of all saw its potential, but it didn't have the mainstream pull that I really thought it would have. Um, and I think it's it's all the factors that we discussed, the length, the si- you know, science fiction, you know, all that stuff. So, you know, I'm sad because I think I, this is and just to kind of put my stamp on how I feel about this film. It is elite filmmaking at every level. Like I said, acting, technical, you know, all, all, all the technical aspects that went into this. It is a phenomenal story. It has the emotional resonance that I think a lot of films that kind of aim high with sci-fi, like I mentioned Prometheus a lot in my review, that film falls flat on its face. I'm sorry if you're out there and you like Prometheus. I like but that Prometheus. Film, that film rambles on and on and on. Oh, by the way. It's just the, an empty void. I like, this Pro- is not. I, I like Prometheus, and Prometheus doesn't hold a candle to this film. Yeah, right. And just, you know, that, that like I said, that film I just think rambles on into nothing. This film is focused. And like you said, you know, you said it very well at the beginning. It Dennis Villanueva, he's a guy that he makes it look easy. And I think that's what the, that's the brilliance of Blade Runner 2049. It's high concept. It's very smart. But it just has a flow about it that makes it look easy. And I get it's a raw, it's a long runtime. But to me, it's a justified runtime. I was never bored. I was completely enthralled and enamored with every aspect of this film i wanted to dig through the answers i wanted to get to the end i wanted to see how it was going to play out for all these characters i can't wait to watch this again and again and again maybe it won't be in the theater again you know i do you know just because i want to see it again on imax which was awesome uh you know maybe i'll go for a second viewing but it's one of those movies that is really going to stick with me for a long time like I said, though, still, I would say this is my second favorite movie of 2017 right now. And even though I like this movie better than Dunkirk, for example, I think this is a better movie than Dunkirk. I still think just in terms of directing, I would still give it to Nolan for direction over this movie, even though the two are very close. Um, but those are definitely my, my three favorite movies of the year. That goes without saying uh, Logan, Blade Runner and Dunkirk. Those are the creme de la creme right now. Certainly, there's a big one waiting in the wings here coming up. And, of course, that's Justice League. <laughs> Kidding. Ooh. That would be uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi, which will premiere its new trailer tomorrow as we record this. Um, but, again, so just Blade Runner 2049, awesome. I had high hopes. And I love when I have high hopes and the movie meets those expectations. There's nothing greater. So all thumbs up for me on that one. Yep, and uh, like I said, I had some high hopes. I was a little nervous about that, and it lived up to everything for me. And I guess what Dan and I are trying to say is, if you've listened to this almost 90-minute podcast... <laughs> yeah, to be, why did you listen to no, it? No, like, no, hey, if, you ha- if you have seen it, go tell somebody. Let people know that they should go see this movie, because it is a really good movie. And it just I think it, 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 des- it, it deserves the word of mouth. It doesn't need the word of mouth. It deserves the word of mouth. And, that's and tell them it's worth their investment. We know it's a long one. But it is worth your time, absolutely. Okay, so that, that's going to be it for this podcast. Uh, Dan, where can people uh, send their Voight Cobb tests uh, to on social media? 
Yeah, absolutely. You can test to see whether or not I'm a replicant at D. Cohen Writer. Again, that's at D. Cohen Writer. Oh, yeah. I, I actually wanted them to send their results to you so you could tell if they were a replicant. But you know what, Dan? You know, sometimes I do wonder if you're a replicant. Uh, I'm happy to answer any questions uh, you may have for me on a void comp test. I, I would definitely the, – the baseline test would be way too stressful for me, though. Uh, I would not be able to do that. That's, that's, that test was too stressful for me in general. Um, so if you want to, for some reason – See what I have to say on Twitter. I am at Bodkin Writes, but most importantly, I want you to check out everything to do with Pop Break. We are thepopbreak.com on the World Wide Web. On, on Twitter, we are at popbreak.com, all spelled out, forward slash popbreak.com on Facebook. We are at thepopbreak on Instagram. It's got some great new photos up from New York Comic Con, including an uh, live panels with William Shatner and the cast of The Walking Dead. Uh, you can also find us on our YouTube page. There's tons and tons of videos that are going to be coming up there, uh, including uh, this week uh, when you're listening to this, hopefully, uh, interview with the with the star of The Flash, Grant Gustin. No, not Ezra Miller, Grant Gustin from The CW Show. Uh, just type in Pop Break on there and you will find us. Uh, so for Dan Cohen, this is Bill Bodkin. Saying thanks for joining us, and we'll be back real soon.